You are listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. I love uh, about getting to be together is getting to sing songs like that and getting to like just um, express the gospel back to the Lord. Like there's just something good about that, that way, that kind of, 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 of opportunity to express something so good and so true in, in words that honestly are a little bit more beautiful than the ones I come up with on my own sometimes. Um, and getting to do that with you in a place like this, gathered together with a lot of other believers, is just a powerful thing. It's not lost on me, though. There's some of you came in the room this morning, and, and we're saying, saying these like deeply like soul-level, profound kind of stuff in the songs that we're singing. We're going to talk about some of them in, in the time of the Word this morning. And you came in, and, and you're, you're not, you ain't there. Uh, you're, you, you haven't, you know, I mean, you're not sure any of this is real. Some of you came in pretty convinced it's not. Some of you came in with some deep-seated questions. And all of that is hard when you come into a place like this because getting in a space like this, around these people and saying this stuff, and it looks like everybody else has it all together, like, it just, it, it shines a light on any kind of doubt, any kind of uh, distance, any kind of struggle that, that you come in the room with. I think part of that is good. I think part of that's the spirit, like doing something in you and saying, hey, like there, there are some things to think through, right? And it, it, there's something good to highlight, but I want you to know that the person sitting next to you has just as much or more going on than you do. And the people that you're looking around, like they look like they've got, like, they don't have any questions. They don't have any doubts about the Lord at all. They, like they do. Yeah, like unequivocally, like all of us walked in here with some, some hard questions, there's a spectrum of that, right? And some of us have to have questions we don't have answers to. Some of us have almost gotten to a point where we're certain there are not answers to some of our questions, and it's pushing us away from the Lord. That's how we all came in here. I don't know how it felt, how it looked, but everybody sitting around you, myself included, came in here with some questions, came in with some struggle. What do we do with that? How do we handle those questions? How do we handle that doubt? What do we do with that? Is God angry with us about that? Like, just to bury it? What do we, what do, we do? We've been walking through the book of Luke together as a church, and we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 7 still. We're in the beginning of verse 18 this morning. So if you want to get your copy of God's Word and go to Luke chapter 7, beginning of verse 18, um, that's where we're going to be. Now, a little, you need some context before we jump in and hopefully find some answers to that question. Like, what do we do with the questions, the struggle, the doubts you walked in here with? You need some context, all right? And so Jesus, when you get to Luke chapter 7, 18, Jesus has been healing. He's been teaching. Crowds have begun to follow him. He's just healed this Roman centurion's like servant without even being in the building like he's just out, like out on the road you know then he then he then he raised a dead guy um in the middle of his own funeral that's what just happened and word is getting out like the stories are spreading like it's, it's kind of going everywhere meanwhile um if, if you've been with us for a little while or if you've been around the word a little bit uh do you remember a guy named john the baptist not if you know who, not, okay, cool. All right, and some of you have no idea who John the Baptist is. All right, I'll tell you. John um, was uh, the one who was prophesied, who was sent, and it was born, like he's a cousin of Jesus, but was sent to, to come and prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John's role was. So Jesus is doing all this stuff, healing all these people, teaching all this stuff, and John, eh, you forget, but, but John is sitting in prison. He's been in prison a while at this point. 
Back in Luke chapter 1, it was foretold by angels, same way like angels foretold what Jesus was going to do. The angels foretold that he was going to be the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. His whole life had been for that purpose. Up into this point, including this point, like that's what his life was for. In Luke chapter 3, we get to start reading about his ministry and the type of things that he was doing. He's living out in the wilderness. He's like preaching the coming of the kingdom of God. He's calling people to repentance and then baptizing people with his baptism of repentance for like them to prepare their hearts for the, the coming of the Lord. He's saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Make straight paths. In Luke chapter 3 also, like people start thinking, wondering if this guy is actually the Messiah, if he's the Savior. He stops and he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not the guy, all right? Like, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And John knew who that guy was. His name was Jesus. It, John had been the one who had baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus. I mean, like, even he was confused about that when he's like, I'm pretty sure you should baptize me. And Jesus is like, nah, we're doing this. Let's go, all right? And John was there. Like, it says, like, like John reported, like, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God, like, descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. Like, he's, like, seeing it. There's this voice from heaven speaking. John recounted that to other people. He heard the, this voice from the Lord, like, audibly say, like, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. John was there. But John had been arrested and he'd been thrown in prison. Now, I've never gone to prison. I got close. Uh, I never actually made it there, all right? And some of you have, all right? I don't know. Is it, like, it's cool. It's cool. It's all grace, right? And so, like, <laughs> I've never been to prison, but I, I have been in a first century Roman cell. Um, I, I got this, you know, this crazy story. I ended up in Rome one time, and I, I got to go down into, into the, the Apostle Paul's cell in, in Rome, and went down in there and there's this tiny little staircase and I'm not like a giant dude and I can barely get down this staircase and it kind of spins around going down in this hole and it's basically this just rock cut out cave and it's just wet and dank and like it's just it's it, it's terrible it's gloomy I was in there five minutes and I like felt the weightiness of it I can't imagine spending years in something like that no windows no light John's been sitting there in a cell like that sitting in this like just kind of hopeless position for months, potentially a year or more at this point, and he's struggling. Is that fair of him? Like if, if, if he's been sitting there and God had this call in his life and he's doing all these great things, he gets thrown in prison, he's just locked there, getting nothing done. Like could, is, it, is it okay for John to be struggling in that moment? Yeah. Some of you guys came in here in a season like that in your own kind of cell, in your own kind of darkness. It's different, but it's, their struggle's the same. And you're struggling too. And as John sat in that cell, questions and doubts began to just well up in his mind. You've been there. I've been there. Especially in those hard seasons, those questions, they rise up, those doubts rise up in your heart and your mind, and you're not necessarily sure what to do about that. Some of you came in just like that. This morning, I want you to see the specific ways that John the Baptist, that he struggled with doubt. And, and, and I, I want you to see, more importantly, I want you to see how Jesus responds to it. Many of you are going to find out that you're struggling in some of the same ways that John did. And you need to see Jesus responding to those questions. You need to see the way that Jesus' heart interacts with people who are walking through the same kind of stuff that you're walking with. So Jesus is working these huge ways. He's doing all this crazy stuff. John's in prison. This is what happens next. Verse 18, it says, the disciples of John, they go and report all these things to him, to John. 
And John, calling to his disciples to him, he sent them back to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? There's a lot going on in there, all right? So basically, some of, some of John's disciples had jumped in. They'd started following Jesus. They're seeing all the stuff. They're hearing all the things. They're, they're, they're a part of what's going on, right? And they, they hadn't forgotten about John, right? They'd been a disciple of John. Like they'd probably, some of them had probably been led to the Lord by John. Like he's introducing them to this like a real and vibrant faith, right? And so like, they haven't forgotten about him. So one day, a couple of, uh, a couple of John's disciples, like this, the cell door swings open, and he's finally got some visitors, and the guys come in, they sit down next to him, they're catching up, they're talking, he's embracing them, he's happy to see them, right? And then they begin to quickly start telling them the things that are happening outside over in the real world and telling stories about this Jesus, whom John baptized, right? Whose John has known his whole life. Telling stories. I told him what Jesus had been saying, what he'd been doing. But something in there wasn't exactly what, what John had expected. It doesn't tell us exactly what uh, John's issue was. But it was enough going on in John that he had to send word back to Jesus to be like, hey, seriously, are, are you the one? It's all right, all right now, man, I'm not so sure. Some of you aren't either. Lots of other people uh, at the time had expected the Messiah to come and just like overthrow Rome and like raise up this army and it was just gonna be this like, nation restoration of, of Israel, overthrowing the oppressors. But Jesus, Jesus didn't seem that worried about Rome. Oh, I mean, John, like John had been preaching against the wickedness of the people and talking about the coming judgment of God, but Jesus hadn't brought much judgment yet. He's not doing anything anybody expected him to do. On the whole, Jesus is not lining up to anyone's expectation of what the Messiah was for. And a question formed in John's mind Sitting in that cell. Maybe one of those dark nights, you know, when your mind's racing, you got nothing else to do. And those big questions roll up. The question in John's mind was, what if, I've, what if I've been wrong? This whole time, what if I was wrong? What if it's not him? What if we had it, what if we had it mistaken? Like, what, what if it's not him? What if, you know? John doesn't send his question back without some doubt like you don't ask this question of a Jesus that you've known for years without some without some doubt in there it's obvious to the question he says are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another Christians in the room do you struggle with doubt sometimes yeah every one of you do myself included every single one of us we struggle with doubt sometimes if you're not a Christian yet are there some things that are some questions some doubts that are holding you back from really engaging with an open heart open mind with this Jesus there's some stuff that you're like, I, don't, I, I can't imagine the answer to that. That doesn't make no sense to me. Like, I've got doubts all over the place, and those are the questions that are pressing you away from it. Of course you do. Okay, great. So everybody in the room has struggled with doubt. All of us do. John the Baptist does. He's having doubts. He's in a low moment. He's in a hard season. He's struggling with doubt. All of us here are there right now, or we will be soon. Fair? I think there's at least two kinds of doubt. There's probably more. There's two for right now that I want to tell you about. All right? One is, 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 is it, they're, they're valid questions. They're hard questions, but they're, they're valid, legitimate questions. And sometimes, I, like you, me or you, we can't imagine answers to those questions, but they're actual ones. Like I could list dozens of these questions that I've had to walk through and work through over the last 
20 years of trying to follow Jesus, okay? A lot of them. But they're legitimate questions. Like, if this is true about God, then how could this possibly be true about the world? These things seem at odds. How could that possibly be rectified? Or like questions like, why would God have done that? Or why would God do this? Doesn't make any sense to me. Why would he do that? Or questions that are more like, like, why does God say this about that thing that I'm really passionate about? And I think this is true, but God says that. So how do, how do you reconcile that? I don't know. Whatever those are for you, like there's specific questions that are probably on all of your hearts and your minds. Like there's, they're actual, they're hard questions, but they're real questions. The second kind of doubt I call flash doubt. I made that up. You can use it, all right? I call it, it's like flash doubt. It's like, it hits like a flash of lightning. Kind of out of nowhere. And not that lightning that's kind of far off as you see it and like, ooh, that's pretty. It's that kind of like lightning that hits the street out in front of your house and you almost cuss. You know what I'm talking about? You didn't cuss, but you got close. You're sure a sweet person or whatever, right? Like that kind of doubt. Where it hits out of the clear blue sky. What if all this is fake? You know? I've known him for 10 years, right? But like, whoa, what if all this is fake? And it hits you like a flash. And it's real. It, it, like, it still hits. I'm not sure from where. It still comes. What if God doesn't actually love me? What if that sin was the final straw and grace has run out now? He's done. What do we do with our doubts? Look, John, having these questions formulates a message, sends it to Jesus, asks the question, are you the one who's to come or should I look for another? So much we can learn from that. One, uh, there's, I need you to see this. Having hard questions is not simple. All right? John the Baptist is having some hard questions right now. He's having some doubt. He's struggling. Having a hard question, having some doubt, that is, that is not sinful. Okay? Sometimes I, th- I think bad theology works like a bad cold, all right? You kind of pick it up from the air. You're not really sure where it came from, but you're like, I don't know, I got it now, and it goes straight to your head. It's exactly how bad theology works sometimes. Nobody actually told you, but all of us somehow we all caught it. Sound familiar? Right? And then you got to deal with it. One of those terrible pieces of theology that I think we just kind of catch from somewhere is this idea that having doubt or having questions is wrong. Some, some, somewhere a lot of us caught the idea that if you have a strong enough faith, then you're never going to have questions. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me. How are you going to get a strong faith without asking questions? Some of us have the idea that, that like, faith in Jesus means you're supposed to check your intellect at the door, and when those questions come up that you're not supposed to investigate, you're supposed to press them aside and bury them somewhere, and you're just supposed to just blindly and unintelligently move forward. Maybe you feel like struggling with doubt is just shameful. As you're supposed to do what the Hobby Lobby wall art says, you know, you go to Hobby Lobby and get the big wall art things, right? And always like, just have faith. And you're like, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Don't get your theology from Hobby Lobby. They're sweet people, I think. I don't know. But like, do not believe everything that's on those signs, okay? That's not what John did. When I go back through scripture, end to end, man, like every major recorded follower of Jesus dealt with some form of doubt. All of them. Yeah, they exercised great faith, but they also walked through deep doubt and hard questions to get there. Like Moses, Moses repeatedly and routinely questioned God's ability 
to use him. He's like, I'm a pretty big mess. I don't think you're strong enough to use me, all right? I don't know if you can pull this off. God did not like that, right? Still, still the way Moses walked. Eventually, he figured out he could, though. Keep going, you get to David. David, I mean, you go read the Psalms. It's like a, a lot of the Psalms are just uh, David or other psalmists pouring out their hearts saying, like, I don't, I don't know that you're going to pull through this time. That was a lot of David's doubt, was da- doubting God's willingness to act. You get to the New Testament, you get Peter. Peter's out here walking on water, like, it's not, it's not only levitating, floating, I, guess, I don't know what he's doing, all right? He's walking on water, he's like out there with Jesus, and then starts doubting Jesus' ability to continue to allow him to walk on water. He's already doing it, right? He's already doing the thing, and then doubts his ability to do the thing through the Lord. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Still true. Thomas says, Thomas, Thomas was with Jesus the whole time and says, I ain't believing, I'm not believing this resurrection nonsense. You guys are some liars. Unless I stick my finger in the hole in his hands, I'm out. And Jesus shows up and he's like, this is going to be gross, but here we go. Every major follower of Jesus in the Bible struggle with questions. And you do too. Is that supposed to be shameful? No. You're not alone in having doubt and hard questions, not in scripture and not in this room. All right? Second thing I want you to see in, in just the way John responds to his questions is, is, is burying, burying hard questions is harmful. All right? Having hard questions is not sinful, but burying hard questions is harmful. If you take those things, you press those down, like that's where the mistake comes in. If the mistake comes in when you take your doubt and your hard questions and you just try to bury them. You don't tell anybody about it. You don't really even work through it. You're not investing, you're not doing anything. You're just trying to hope it goes away. The worst thing you can do, the most harmful thing that you can do is, is lock all that, those mounting questions up in your heart to rot. John didn't bury them, he voiced them. All the guys that came, right, sent the questions to Jesus. He voiced the questions. You and I, you got to voice the questions. You got to have some people around you that you can voice these questions to. You can voice them to the Lord, you can voice them to your community. You got to have people, you got to say this stuff. It removes it of power, it removes it of shame. You say it out loud. Now, John did ask the right people, okay? Like, he didn't ask the biased, angry Pharisees who were just dead set that Jesus was fake, okay? Like, he didn't ask them. He also didn't ask Reddit or TikTok either, by the way, but like, just for free. He went to some people he could trust. Went to the source. Your word is trustworthy. Like that Bible that you've got in your hand, it's trustworthy. A lot of the questions that I've had, I've found answers to in the word. Holds true. I don't want to be your authority. The words that I speak to you are not holy and inerrant, but that Bible that you hold in your hand is. You need people around you to help point you to the word, help you dig in and find solutions, find answers, find hope, find, oh, find faith, like in the word, like that's where, that's where your hope comes from, not, not from a person, not from a talking head on a screen. So voice the questions. Don't bury them. Voice the questions. Like speaking them out loud to someone trustworthy, it removes it of power. Those flash doubts are only dehabilitating as long as they're unspoken. Once you speak those things out loud, it removes some of the power from them, and you can begin to walk in it. So voice the questions, the hard questions. They're just not so terrifying when you say them to somebody else. That's one of the reasons we do tribe. Because you can have people around you that when you're struggling, when you've got those questions, you've got some people around you to walk with you. Voice the questions, don't bear. And the third thing, trusting doubt is illogical. All right, 
I'm gonna make a case for this, and I want you like, it just is. Like trusting, trusting your doubt is illogical. Here's why. All of us have this glitch in our brains. Every single one of us. I've never met anybody that doesn't have it, okay? Like all of us have this glitch in us that, that we think that like, it, accidentally, we accidentally believe that if we think something, there's a really good chance it's right. We trust our instincts. We trust our gut. We trust our intellect. Like if I can't figure it out, it can't be figured out. All of us glitch out and think that we are brilliant enough that if there is a plausible solution to a question that we're going to be the people going to handle that on our own. And then you have a really hard time changing your mind. We do this with big things and with little things, like, and like little things. Like at some point when you were like three, you decided that vegetables were gross and you've still been eating chicken nuggets the rest of your life. And you're like, chicken nuggets are good for me. No, they're not, man. Like you got you, you to gotta, you gotta grow up a little bit. Opinions and beliefs that you set up in your head, you know, years ago, because you just thought so, are not to be trusted. Like my, my, uh, we believe that our conclusions are right. It doesn't matter if it's a logical. It doesn't matter if it doesn't have any foundation at all. We just believe that our conclusions are right. So when these doubts and these hard questions prop, crop up in our minds, a lot of us, like if we don't talk about them, we don't get any help, what we end up doing is starting to formulate opinions about these questions on our own in our isolation, away from the word and away from community. On our own, we start thinking these things through. And when we can't arrive at a, a, a answer, a conclusion that carries any water, then we start to assume there's not one. This is the way it goes. It starts with, I don't know an answer to this question. That's fine. That's all of us. Like every, all of, I mean, if we have an infinite God, then we're going to be able to have an infinite number of questions. We're never going to fully understand him. We're never going to have like fully figure him out. He's eternal and you're not, right? So there's always going to be some things that don't make sense. You're always going to have questions. All right, so we have questions. I don't know an answer to this question. That's fine. But when that's unspoken, when that's, not, when that's not brought to the words, not brought to community, what happens is it becomes, you know what, I don't think there's an answer to this question. That's different. I don't know there's an answer to this question. It becomes, I don't think there is one. And given enough time, what that becomes is, there's not one. There's not an answer to this question. I know that. I've thought about this. And I'm brilliant. There's not an answer to this question. And left long enough, that becomes belief. Left long enough, that, 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 that statement starts to search for support for itself. And it becomes a belief structure. It says, God cannot exist because there is no answer to this question. I had a question. I couldn't think of an answer to it. So I decided there's not an answer to it. And now I've supported it well enough to decide to know that God can't be real or God can't be good because there's no answer to this question. See how that's illogical? I meet people all the time whose worldviews, beliefs are at their core. They're founded on a profound faith in their own intellect, their own ability to think. If I can't think of a, a reason that God would allow that to happen, then there can't be one. If I can't think of an explanation for this, then there isn't one. And since there isn't a reason, if there isn't an explanation, then God is to be doubted. God is to be rejected because I couldn't think of an answer. And all these other people I found, they couldn't think of an answer either. And so we're all pretty certain now. No, no, we're certain that since there's not a good enough answer for this question, he's out. What do you do with that? Like, what, I mean, because like, that's the way we all work. 
about all sorts of things, not just the Lord. Like, oh, we all work like that, so what do we do with that? And in, in, in a book called Making Sense of God by a guy named Tim Keller, it's a great book, you should read Making Sense of God by Tim Keller, it's great. In there he coins this phrase, I think he coined it, of, of doubting your doubt. That's stuck with me. I'm like, all right, that's, that's actually helpful, all right? They talked about the practice of doubting your doubt. Like, what if we held up our doubts, the same rigorous standards of examination that we would hold any other belief? in a position? What if we examine the precepts and the foundations of our doubt with the same scrutiny that we would anything else? Where we didn't just trust what we think. We didn't just trust our own conclusions, but we held it up like, is, there, is this supportable, externally supportable? Not. Examine where they're coming from, the thoughts and reasons behind them. See, trusting, trusting my doubt, I've come to find is illogical. A lot of times, it's just because I think this, or I couldn't think of an answer to it. I couldn't think of a solution. I end up trusting, believing, putting my faith in my inability to find an answer. If that's where you're at, man, I'm telling you, that's, that's where the struggle is. We gotta voice those things. We gotta lay them out before somebody else. We gotta bring those things to the word and, and, <laughs> and try to doubt our doubts. Let's see what, uh, that's what John did, and let's see how that goes. So verse 20 said, when the men had come to him, to Jesus, they said, hey, uh, John the Baptist, he's, he sent us to you saying uh, this. He said, John wants to know, are you the one who's to come, or should we look for another? The guys walk up, they get an audience with Jesus. Jesus, all right? Just like spoke to a dead guy on a stretcher, and he sat up, all right? Jesus, they got an audience with him, pulled him aside and said, hey, John the Baptist has a message for you. Jesus comes alongside, they just sit there together and they say, hey, John's um, wondering if you're legit or not. You know the guy who baptized you? You know your cousin? The one who's supposed to prepare the way for the Messiah? He's wondering if you're the Messiah. What should we tell him? You know? <laughs> I, how would you have handled that moment? Like if you were there, like if, if, if that was you, how would you have handled that? Probably not well, right? I think we assume Jesus wouldn't handle it well. I think we assume that when we bring our questions to him, like he doesn't handle it well. But watch, verse 21 says this. This is what he does. This is the very next verse, all right? In that hour, like the next 60 minutes, like in that, in that hour, he went and healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. He didn't answer them. He didn't answer them. He didn't give them a theoretical idea. He didn't give them a pat response. I brought this hard, scary question, and he didn't give them a pat answer. Your doubt, your questions. Don't need a simple pat on the back and just have faith, man. It's going to be okay. You just got to believe. Just keep going. You don't need that. These questions, these doubts, they need evidence. They need something real. They need something tangible. They need something trustworthy and true. So Jesus tells him to take a seat. He's like, okay, all right. Why don't you sit down a minute? Guys go get settled in. They go get a seat. And Jesus gets to work doing crazy stuff that only Jesus can do, right? I imagine the day stretching on towards sunset and the day's getting long. Jesus is getting tired. The crowds are kind of starting to disperse. He's been working, he's been working, he's been working. Jesus dismisses the crowd and people are starting to leave and Jesus has been doing all these things that nobody else can, could possibly do but the Son of God. He's tired, but he's full. 
seeing God do things that only he could do. The last people start to head out. John's two guys, they're still there. I imagine Jesus coming over and turning around, sitting down next to him and just sighing. Good day, well done, you know? And then he looks over at him, and then he finally, then he finally speaks. Verse 22, he says, and he answered him, go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor who have good news preached to them. And then tell them this. Tell them blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Does Jesus seem angry to you? Does he seem frustrated with John for daring to have these doubts? Is he scolding him? No. Jesus is responding with just compassion and understanding. He's willing to just step in and help, and not with just some lightweight word of an answer. Sends those guys back and says, man, you go tell them what you've seen and what you've heard. It's like Luke, is, he, he's kind of leading us to believe that all the work that Jesus did that day was so that his messengers could go back and tell John. What Jesus is saying right there, he's mirroring what, what Isaiah said in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, verse, verses 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He mentioned that. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's like, I want you to go tell John you're seeing Isaiah 61 walked out. Maybe you remember, like, maybe you probably don't, but like he quoted this back in his hometown in Luke chapter 4. Rolled up in his hometown, got in the temple with everybody, and he's like, rolls out the scroll of Isaiah, gets to chapter 61. They didn't have numbers back then, but still, right? And, so, and reads this part and says, today in your hearing, this is fulfilled. John comes with questions, and again, he says, man, I'm telling you, like, this was prophesied about me. I, was, I, was, I said I was going to do this. I'm actually doing it. This is happening. What does that tell you, John? You don't miss this. Jesus didn't make it easy. He could have just said yes, right? He's like, yeah, go tell John, yeah, I'm the guy. Save these guys a whole day. But look at verse 18. Like back in verse 18, John had just received a report of the things that Jesus was doing. And Jesus sends the guys back with another report of the things that he was doing. That's what he, like John got a report, had a question, got another report. Same kind of stuff. What does that tell you? One, it tells me that Jesus wanted John to think, not just accept a word. He wanted him to examine the evidence, examine what had been seen, what had been heard. He wanted him to like, think about it, wrestle it out, not just accept something. I think he wants you and I to do that as well, not to check your intellect at the door. He wants you to do the work, think well, think rationally, not blindly trusting our doubts, but pressing in and finding truth. The second thing it tells me is that he, he, Jesus wanted John to realize that there was actual evidence for his faith. Jesus tells him to go back, tell John what he's seen and heard, tells him to give evidence, tells him to give testimony. That's true for us as well also. Like that carries weight. When I face questions and doubt, what I know of the word is incredibly powerful. But God is able to supplement that with what I see him doing in the world. 
I see him doing in my life, what I hear of him doing in people in my community's lives, like that testimony, like that, that carries weight. What I've experienced of him is powerful. When that flash doubt hits, I forget all those experiences. Don't you? When those questions rise up and it's so, like it's right in your face right then, you forget everything that you've ever seen him do. That's why you need community around you. Be like, hey, remember this, remember this, remember this. Remember that? Remember we prayed for this and God showed up and like, yeah, like you need you need community to back you up when all of that memory fades. What have you seen and you heard? What have you seen? What have you heard? Maybe you came in the room this morning and you like saw something that is not normal. There's a weight in here that's different. And I pray for that every week. What have you seen and heard? I know the doubt feels so real sometimes, so huge, so trustworthy. So press into the word, press into your community, voice those things, talk to the people around you, remind one another what you've seen, what you've heard, back each other up. Those two friends, they returned and encouraged John's faith by recounting what they had seen and what they had heard. John, I know you couldn't be there firsthand. This is what I've seen, man. In your tribes this week, in your huddles, at coffees and lunches, man, encourage each other by what you've seen and by what you've heard. Trust the evidence, don't trust the doubt. The last thing Jesus says to John is just pivotally important. He says, and blesses the one who is not offended by me. That's an interesting little construction there, but basically it means blesses the one who doesn't reject me, who isn't so offended that they walk away from me, who isn't like turned away from like this, the, 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 it does, it, there's really rejection. That's what he's getting at. Blesses the one who hangs on, who doesn't give up on me. Jesus recognized, he talks about it. He talks about when Thomas stuck his hand out. He said, blessed are you because you believe, blessed are those who are gonna believe without seeing. He's like, Thomas, you got to see it. There's gonna be billions of people who are gonna have to come to a point of faith and never gonna get to see this, man. I'm glad you get to, but a lot of us aren't. Blessed is the one who asks those questions, who presses in, who finds truth, clings to it. That's my prayer for you, is that as you walk through questions, as you walk through doubt, as you have questions that you cannot imagine an answer to, then instead of just trusting your instinct, trusting your gut and your own intellect, that you press in. You allow people around you to speak into you. Ask somebody who's trustworthy to help you with some of those questions. Find the answers. Move towards them. You don't bury it. You don't trust your doubt. You voice those questions. You figure it out. You move forward in faith. Listen, I want you to know you're not alone in hard questions. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer in the room, I want you to know you're not alone in hard questions. And I want you to know that the God of the universe that sent his son to die for you is not mad at you for having those questions. His grace is not like removed from you because you're struggling to figure it out. He understood that, knew that. He's compassionate and like empathetic with people that are, gonna have, that are having a hard time figuring this stuff out. I am, you are, we all are. Just don't trust your doubt. Many of you, you need to make a huge step this morning, and I'm going to set some things before you, and I actually want you to consider doing this stuff. When we come to the Word, when we come to times like this, if we don't respond, if we don't do anything with it, it's absolutely wasted, all right? Like, you coming into a service and hearing some stuff and walking away a little bit encouraged or excited or whatever, that is not enough. It requ- like the Word requires action, so I got three things I want you to consider doing. The first, like, some of you just need to voice some of those doubts. You just need to tell somebody you're having them. Just let somebody know. So back at Next Steps, the little section over there with the curtains or whatever, that's our Next Steps area, and some of our folks are gonna be back there, and they're there to pray with you, they're gonna be there to talk with you. They're not gonna answer all the hard questions of your hearts this morning. You just need to go tell somebody, like, hey, I'm struggling with doubt. 
Would you pray for me? I've never told anybody I've got some of these questions, but would you just pray over me? Just let them pray for you come back to your seat. Some of you, you need to commit today to do that hard work of seeking truth. You've been burying them, and you've not been trying to figure it out. There's been some questions rolling around your mind. Instead of taking that seriously and doing something with that, pressing in, you've just been trying to hide it away. You need to commit today to doing something and seeking truth. Humbly, just say to yourself, say to, the, say to yourself, like, my gut is not smart enough for this. I need to find some truth. Would you be willing to pray right now, right where you are, and just say, God, like, would you, would you move in me? Would you move me to action? Would you help me find answers to the questions that are on my heart? And last, some of you, some of you came in with just a really hard heart towards the Lord. There's so many questions that you don't have answers to. There's so many things that you've come to believe and put your faith in that you, you've got a really hard heart. Like, it was really, it was difficult and almost comical to you that you came this morning. I get it. To this point, you've been the person that Jesus had in mind when he said that last line, blesses the person who's not offended by me. Blesses the person who doesn't write me off. Bless the person who has hard questions, can't find answers, and just gives up. Don't give up. Press in this morning. Like, commit. Like, okay, maybe there are answers that I haven't figured out on my own. Maybe that's true. Would you just be willing to just whisper? I mean, I know this is a lot, but would you be willing to just whisper a prayer to the Lord and say, hey, if you're there, I'm listening. If you're there, I'm open. I'm not asking you to move all the way to faith this morning. I know if you came in full cold, like this is nonsense. I'm just asking you to move towards neutral and saying, okay, I'll evaluate. That's all I'm asking of you. It's an open mind saying, fine, I'll ask some of the questions, I'll see what happens. Let us help. Those connection cards that you got when you came in, it's a great place to start. Let us know you're here. Let us know you want to meet. We'll try to back you up. We'll try to help. I don't have all the answers to everything either. I've still got questions too. But at least you'll have somebody to walk with you. Our team's going to be back at Next Steps, all right? Now, as our band's coming, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go tell somebody that you're struggling with doubt. All right, so Next Steps team's back there. When our band starts to play, I just want you to step out of your seat, go back there to Next Steps, go find somebody and say, hey, we don't know each other. I need you to know I'm struggling with doubt. I've never told anybody before. Would you pray for me? Let them pray. Some of you need to go tell somebody that you're just committing to find some answers. Like, listen, I haven't been taking this seriously. I've been pressing this off. Like, would you just pray for me that I would, I would, I would actually do the work? I'd actually start trying to figure this out. Some of you, some of you need to go tell somebody you're just trying to be open. Like, hey, I, I barely made it in the door today. I'm not sure any of this has any merit at all. I'm just, I just, would you, I just want to tell you that I'm trying to be open. Next step seems there for you, okay? So I want to pray. And then I got two things I'm going to tell you real quick. So let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful that you meet us in our doubt with compassion. That you understand, that you, you recognize the you recognize the difficulty of following a guy that we can't see and touch but you are a God that we can know. God, I pray for my friends in the room who are believers that are struggling with doubt this morning. I pray that you would remind them of what they've seen and what they've heard, what scripture's done in their life, the change that has taken place in them. God, I pray that you would remind them of their testimony, that you would encourage their hearts. Even if they don't have the answers this morning, that they cling to you, they would not be offended by you. And I pray for my friends in the room who aren't believers yet, came in hard heart, Lord. How would you just, would you, would you do that work or would you help them in that work just to have a soft heart towards you? To help them be open. 
to evaluate honestly. God, when doubt surrounds us and wraps around us, sometimes it's so hard to see you. So God, I pray that you would take off those chains this morning. Draw us to yourself. You'd restore us. But as these tribes form, as community forms, that answers would be found and hope would flourish and people would move forward in the full knowledge of the gospel, strong in you. God, move. God, move. We can't do any of that on our own, so God, we need you. I pray that you move us to action. I pray that as our band leads, that you'd move us to action. Go voice those doubts, voice those questions. Let somebody pray with us. Set them down and start to move forward this morning, right now. So your sons, I pray.